Welcome to the Purple Political Breakdown. Quick disclaimer before you watch this episode, it's much shorter, and I do apologize because this episode is very, very scuffed. Uh, if you want to listen to the full thing, I do appreciate it. We decided to keep it in because it's, although it's kind of scuffed and there's a lot of technical difficulties and the guests had to leave early, it was very funny as well. So there's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of uh, kind of jokes that we're making. So we're just having fun. We do talk about the pros and cons of unions. So that's good, obviously. Um, but if you want to check it out, this scuffed episode, probably the most chaotic episode we've had so far. Feel free, appreciate you guys, and uh, enjoy. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Riddell Lewis, here with my co-host, Paul. And today, we're going to be talking about unions, the pros and cons, the solutions of how unions should or should not work in America. And this is actually a conversation I've already had, but, you know, technical difficulties. I'm not going to do it again. This won't happen again. I've, I've three strikes you're out. It won't happen a fourth time. So this time we're going to have a great conversation. Um, and obviously to have that conversation, I have a great guest today and that is Jonathan. So how are you doing? Uh, how's your day been? Doing really well. Thank you. No problem. No problem. So we're going to dive into the conversation per usual, uh, talk everything about unions. And before we do that, we're going to start off with a what you need to know. What is going on currently in American society? Uh, so I have three things and I'll be curious to see how you guys uh, want to chime in. First things first, Michael Orr, a football player, filed a petition to end the conservative ship from the Tennessee couple, the the couple that inspired the blind side and how Michael Orr inspired the blind side. Apparently, he's very angry with how they handle his conservatorship. And because of that, he wants to end it. He wants to sue them and get money or get the, the you know, uh, money and the benefits they got from the movie. Apparently, he was basically shut out that deal. Um, also, a British nurse was found guilty of murdering seven newborn babies and attempting to murder six others. There is an apparent note indicating that she did it and saying that I am evil. I did this. That is that is what our note said. Very evil individual. And lastly, there's the uh, poten potential. I'm not sure how like confirmed this is. We'll see what Elon does with this. But Elon Musk is potentially disabling the block feature for X slash Twitter. I'm still going to call it Twitter. I don't care. But he potentially wants to disable this block feature for the platform. And there's a lot of controversy on whether this is a good or bad thing. So uh, what do you all think about uh, what's going on in society? Well, uh, you could you go ahead, John, if you want. No, I, I was gonna say you go ahead, Paul. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, for uh, some of the blindside stuff, uh, I found it pretty bizarre. Um, the the one thing though, I don't know if you've ever like watched the movie before, but there's kind of oh, like some sure. stuff within like the book as well that kind of were telling. Um, there's a part where Michael looks at a bed and like. I don't know how the scriptwriters let this get through. He looks at the bed and he asks, what is that? Or something like that. And I mean, like, I rolled my eyes even when I was a kid watching it. Like, I, come on, like, give me a freaking break, you know? But um, I, at the same time, I'm kind of, like, unsurprised. Uh, you kind of see a lot of these instances uh, where some of these, like, uh, more wealthier families 
uh, take advantage of these children and uh, try to like kind of bleed them out for a story. Not to say that, of course, there's like a lot of good examples, but it's something that does exist. Well, wasn't it similar with Taylor Swift that she yes. had to break her conservativeship after many years? Um, and it's not something I know that much about, but I really understand be- this in the sense that when I was a, an attorney, I mean, you have such an unequal, unequal bargaining power in a sense. You know, these poor kids come in and they're desperate for a home. They're desperate for a family. And if somebody isn't honest and if there's nobody m- monitoring their honesty, that creates a real opening for them to be able to exploit young people like that. I mean, it seems to me that as part of the conservatorship, there should be some sort of mechanism where that's reviewed regularly and the person who's in under the conservatorship has an opportunity to speak about you know grievances they may have or ways they feel they're being treated wrongly well the thing that's the most bizarre with stuff like that as well is that it actually permeates even past the person becomes an adult right like that's like the most like bizarre element in happened with Taylor Swift as well like uh, this was something that like actively or was it Britney Spears I, I don't know which one it was but I know that oh, it, Britney like, existed, Spears was uh, over one yeah like it, it it follows these uh celebrities like the entire time and there's just no way out it seems unless there's like uh massive social pressure uh and it seems bizarre yeah, I definitely agree. Honestly, that might be a topic for another day in terms of like diving into the potential corruption that is conservatorships of young, inspiring individuals such as athletes or pop stars or movie stars, all that stuff. Because I feel like it's been talked about quite a bit with a lot of uh, celebrities once they start growing up. Obviously, if everything's good and good, then, you know, they're okay. But for the most part, once they start speaking about it, I mean, I feel like... Uh, even even in situations where it's your own family member, there's definitely needs to be a conversation on how these young individuals are taken advantage of. Um, I forget what example, because there's another example other than Britney Spears, but just like uh, I think um, so the guy from Ned These Classified was talking about how he was taken advantage of. Like he got a lot out of it, but they're still kids at the end of the day. So that that's definitely a conversation that needs to be had in the future. Um, but yeah, also, I will say this. I've said it before on a different platform. I think there is validity on people not just being able to block whoever they want off of just like a whim. I think there's a valid argument that that's going to be a good thing overall in terms of social media. But conversation for another day, I'm sure. Uh, with that said, let's dive into the topic at, uh, at hand. We're going to talk about unions, the pros and cons. And to kind of kick things off, Jonathan, why don't you introduce yourself, what you're about, what you do, and your involvement with unions, and then we'll get this conversation started. Well, I, I have to go back, actually, historically to the 1950s when I was born in Washington, D.C. And as a child, even as a child, it was very apparent in a naive sort of way that D.C. was basically an apartheid city. You know, all the white people were clustered on the Northwest Quadrant and the rest of the city basically was black. 
and there was such a disparity of treatment that you could feel and see. One time we were driving as kids through the countryside in Virginia, and there was a chain gang, all of black prisoners, you know, with the guards up on their horses, you know, with the shotguns leaning on their big bellies. And, you know, I just looked out and it was just sort of shocking to me. And then in 1960, when I was 10, we used to go to the Glen Echo Amusement Park. And in 1960, some stewards from Howard University started picketing Glen Echo to integrate it. And the rednecks came out of the woodwork and, and went so far as to pour bleach into the swimming pool. So here you are as a kid, and I can remember thinking to myself, you know, it's 100 degrees here in D.C., and this is one of the few places where you can go cool off. And who, why aren't they letting black kids go swimming with us? So, I mean, I could go on in more and more examples, but that left a really um, very, very uh, deep, deep impression on me in terms of what felt really inequitable. And as I got older, in 1964, the Ku Klux Klan killed three civil rights workers who were registering Black people to vote in Mississippi, Schwar uh, Goodwin, Schwerner, and Cheney. And I said to myself, that's, they're like only a couple of years older than I am. And I said, There's so, I've got to do something about this. And I found my way to the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, one of the most active and aggressive civil rights organizations at the time. And I volunteered there. I used to take three buses to get across DC and talk about another apartheid like boundary. The buses in the Northwest side were air conditioned. As soon as you got out of the Northwest, the buses didn't have any air conditioning. And, you know, that was where the Black people lived. So Black people didn't get air conditioned buses. So, you know, those kinds of things were what sort of formulated my thinking when I later, you know, went on to the university where the, we were very, very active. It was in Madison, Wisconsin, which was probably the epicenter in the whole country of student rebellion and, and student protest. And you know, from there, I went in to, the, to an automobile plant to begin organizing because we realized that if we didn't take our vision, our vision to fundamentally change society out broader than among our fellow students, but to people who were in the working class, that worked every day in the factories that made America run. And if we didn't try to bring to them a class consciousness of how capitalism works and why they're exploited as workers under capitalism, there were probably about 10,000 of us around the country in different political organizations that went to work taking industrial jobs to, to organize. All right. All right. Um, Paul, go for it. Yeah. So like I was going to ask, um, like, uh, you were back around, uh, when students, uh, for a democratic society and stuff like that were, um, like a growing organization throughout the United States. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, in fact, when I went into went to Madison in 1968, there were 100,000 members of Students for a Democratic Society. So I was like wondering if I could ask you before we get into some of the union stuff, uh, I was going to ask, um, how big of an uh, impact do you think student activists had on um, diluting the popularity of the war in Vietnam? Oh, I think it was, I, I believe that it had a tremendous impact. I mean, I've read stories where Lyndon Johnson was cowering in the White House and he could hear the chants, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Oh, wow. Um, and it was really a moral reckoning in society because you have to remember there were only three news channels at the time and they were fundamentally more honest than what's out there now with people like Fox and and friends. And the war was the main feature of the news every night. And we watched body bags coming back of US soldiers. We saw images of huge B-52s dropping napalm onto villages. And it was just something that you, if you had any humanity in you, you felt that there was no way you could sit by and not protest. And that protest became much more supercharged when the first Vietnam vets came back who opposed the war. Because I'll never forget, it was my first year in Madison in 1968, and a Marine who had been in Nam got up and gave a speech and he broke down in tears about the people that he had carried a flamethrower. He used to be in a forward battalion or forward group. And his job was to just burn these huts to the ground with women and children in them. And the military, because of the enormity of the anti-war movement and how pervasive it was, including in the military, where there were over 200 underground anti-war newspapers in the military, that students played their role, but even more than that, was the military rebelled. The soldiers on the ground rebelled and endless stories of them refusing to fight, just going out a hundred yards, sitting down and smoking weed, you know, of second lieutenants getting shot in the back because people didn't want to go on these missions, that they didn't know why they were there and what they were fighting for. So I think a combination of the uprising of young people combined with the growing, growing resentment and activity of, of the GIs is what really forced the end of the war. N near, near the end of the war, there was a demonstration. I think it was called Operation Dewey Canyon. And it shows Vietnam vets, some of them disabled, some of them in wheelchairs, some of them on crutches, walking by the Capitol stopping and throwing their medal. This purple heart is for my brothers and sisters who died in Vietnam. You know, this medal of honor, and they throw them at the White House. And one of the last GIs said, the next time I come back to these steps, it's gonna be when we take it over. And that was the sentiment. 
you know, that we wanted society to change so fundamentally that we felt we had the ability to completely reform and restructure it in a much more humane way that recognized people's basic human needs. Uh, when do you think like was the chief turning point in the war amongst like, I guess, like the American proletariat? Like, uh, was it, do you think it was the Tet Offensive uh, or do you think it uh, happened earlier than that? I think it began, no, it, I think it began to break through with the Tet Offensive when there was a lot, you know, we used to do tremendous amount of education. The organization I was in after SDS was called Mother Jones Revolutionary League. Mother Jones was an old, you know, leader of the coal miners. And we would go into the dorms and three nights a week, we'd go bang on doors and ask if we could come in and explain the facts of the Vietnam War. So we really educated students to the nature of the war and why it was so egregious and why it was really part of an imperialist effort to extend the US control around the world. So to me, the culmination came when the National Guard shot four students and killed them at Kent State right after Nixon had invaded Cambodia. And not only was there an uprising on 200 campuses, and it's amazing to think about, we didn't even have fax machines, let alone cell phones. And somehow that occurrence was on a Friday and by Monday, 200 universities were on strike protesting the Vietnam War. And I was part of the coalition in Madison that went out to the factories. We, we, we found 17 factories, hospitals, you know, large. Technical difficulties. Paul, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I think he's uh, uh, having some oh, issues with his internet. Yeah, it's uh, Jonathan's end. Okay. Technical hey, difficulties. We're going to cut this out. Don't worry about it. We'll be all good. Jonathan, if you can hear us, uh, your internet is cutting out uh, and you're uh, frozen on screen. Very well received by the workers. It was no longer like when I started out in 1967 when we went to shut the induction center in Manchester, New Hampshire, and the workers had hung a banner out of an old shoe factory said, better dead than red. Um, and uh, commies go home. And that sentiment really turned around by the end of the war and really challenged people to not blindly follow the government's policies. Interesting. So uh, on like the union stuff, I was going to ask, I take it that like you underneath a lot of federal surveillance uh, in your time of like uh, activism, right? Yeah, I was. I was a little bit surprised, frankly. It it took three efforts to get my FBI file because the first one was about 30 pages and 27 of them were just black. And I appealed it and then I appealed it again. And that came almost a thousand pages. And I've put up many of those pages on my website, www.jonathanmelrod.com, because when I started my union activity, I worked at an auto plant in Milwaukee, and you both are too young to remember it. It was American Motors, 
but we made the Pacer and the Javelin and some of those oh, wow. cars that are quite <laughs> antiquated. But as soon as I got into the factory, it was just like carrying the rebellion that we had, you know, been engaged in out on the streets to tr trying to change society, it just moved into the factories. And very quickly, I found a group of particularly young vets from Vietnam of color. There were a couple of young women, black women who were church women, who had a sense of organization and community. And others of us that were just young Woodstock generation type of, you know, young people. And we bonded, we bound our, binded together in the formation of a rank and file caucus. And we started out by the company came around to notify us on a Thursday that we would have to work Saturday over. Oh, no. It's going to be one of those episodes. Yeah. Oh, at least I can write down. Yeah. Jonathan, you are frozen BTW. He's not gonna know what that means. <laughs> he might. <laughs> okay. Oh, and... <laughs> he cut out. Um, we'll wait. We'll wait for him to to appear back again. Hopefully, get uh fix the. the oh, I'm gonna DM you something on a Discord really quick. <laughs> All right, bet. Oh, he's back. So as I was saying, yeah, there, there was you know, a, an absolute refusal. But the word came out that the president of the union, who was a pretty much, had promised the company that he would deliver a workforce on that Saturday. And that by name, he picked me out and he said, John Melrod's the one who caused this problem. It was only a matter of time once that word came out. And there was soon after that, the company increased the line of the assembly line three cars an hour. Now, if somebody hasn't worked on an assembly line, it's hard to explain how numbing and physically punishing working on one car a minute can be. But it's it's a real, you can feel it all through. Body. And we decided that our caucus met and we would put out a flyer at the plant gates the first time we had done it out in front of the Okay. Uh, the technical difficulty. All right. That's so unfortunate. If it keeps happening, I'm going to have to call it. 
Yeah, we could call the entire episode and just scrap it if you want. And then redo uh, it. We'll just talk about something else. All right. Workstation. Hey, uh, Jonathan, can you hear us? I can now. Yeah. You couldn't hear all me? Right. Yeah, no, we couldn't hear you at all. <laughs> there's a lot of technical difficulties on your end. Uh, do you have like tabs or anything open? No, no, nothing. Oh, we're nothing trying to. We're trying to troubleshoot the issue right now. The problem is, is like uh, halfway through when you were talking, we didn't catch any of it whatsoever. Uh, you would freeze on screen. And yeah, I didn't see or anything. I, I don't know because nothing is irregular from when I always do these podcasts. It could be Streamyard, uh, Riddell. It could be, but I've never had an issue with Streamyard before. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, try it again. Uh, if something's wrong here, we if it uh, goes bad again, we might have to, you know, scrap the conversation. Because if you're like going out for like 30 seconds every two minutes you're talking, then it's just, you know, just nothing's really working at that point. So we'll try again. I'm not really sure what the issue is right now um, because this never really has happened before. Um, what? Are you like located on the west side of the country? Yeah, I'm I'm out in California. Um, but you know, it's odd because it's odd because I do so many. I've probably done forty podcasts now, and I'm not blaming you, certainly, Randall. Yeah. But <laughs> but I, you know, they've always been. We, I mean, we had you on before. I have had you on before, and there wasn't an issue. So I don't. I have no idea. What's going yeah. on right now? Okay. It could be the servers for the uh, the service or something like that. I mean, I never know. I, anyway, I got the next question ready if you're uh, interested, Jonathan. You know, you know how crazy th- this whole new technology is. The other day, <laughs> they had a huge concert in Golden Gate Park. So many people were on their cell phones. The Waymo driverless computerized cars froze. What? Wherever they were because they couldn't get the signal through. Oh my God. <laughs> there was just so much blockage. Yeah. And one of them went into wet cement, which was the best. Holy oh man. That, that is not good for image for those oh, driverless cars. No. Dude, oh. I bet those cloud watch people are on suicide watch right now <laughs> with all their stuff. <laughs> I'm I'm imagining being the person in the car. I'm like, bro, what the? I'm just like stuck in the middle of the highway, just in this car, and I can't. There's nobody to talk to. I'm just like nobody to talk to. You just see it take a right, right off the freeway. <laughs> let me let me tell you one other really quick story. But the kind of anarchist young kids who don't like these computer, uh, uh, you know, driverless cars have figured out that if you put an orange cone in front of it, it get paralyzed. It won't move. So really? they're doing it all over the city. They run out, they drop a cone in front of one, and it's like their way of rebelling against new technology. I know the big thing in Tampa that the cyclists were doing for a while is um, they were really pissed off with all the stuff regarding the scooters. And I think they chucked over like 200 of them into the bay, uh, just like in the middle of a night or something like that, like just like full scale. And I look, I can't blame them. I mean, like if you're a pedestrian around that area, those things are an absolute nightmare. And furthermore, they're charging you for like 25 bucks for like a mile or two. It's insane. It's like worse than public transportation. That Stop. that is actually crazy. Um, but like if it's having issues with an orange cone, 
my I I have no faith that it will be able to handle the the trolley problem correctly. So the the Waymo and I think there's another company that does driverless cars as well. They they might need to kind of go back to the drawing board with this one. Not gonna lie, it's not. Uh, Jonathan, are you frozen again? Uh oh. Jonathan, can you hear us? <laughs> Jesus. I think we should reschedule. Um, this guy is cool to talk to, but uh, yeah, we'll talk about it later. And he's back. Sweet. All right. I think we should give it another shot some other time, Randolph. I'm okay with it. It doesn't bother me, you know. Right on. This isn't well, Yeah, yeah. Let's let's reschedule for a different day. Um and uh see if we can find uh see if we can work something out. If anything, um if we try again, um if you can record your audio, that way, you know, you would have your audio, I would have our audio, and then we might be able to figure something out. But yeah, let's just go for a different day. And then um, I'll send you, you have my calendar. So you can just go back to the calendar and just reschedule. Oh, I I, I go, can you send me your link to your calendar? Because I don't, <laughs> actually, I'm very tech neophyte. I don't even know how to get to it. All right. I'll just email you the, the calendar. Okay. Again. Thank you. It was yep. a pleasure meeting you, man. Okay. No yeah, you too, for sure. Take care. Bye-bye. You have a good one. All right. <laughs> that was unfortunate. Honestly, I'm 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 tempted to go a blooper episode. <laughs> oh man, if April was here, I could have just bought this for a blooper episode. Um, that was awesome. I, I like uh, the way that he was so friendly. Like even at the end of it, he's like, "Oh yeah, this is on me." Like I'm sorry, guys. Like uh, let's just redo it to another time. Very nice guy, down to earth. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, I've had him on before, like I said, and we didn't have these issues. Matter of fact, the other guy. He brought another one who was a Starbucks worker who's actually part of the Starbucks union. He was the one having technical issues, whereas Jonathan was, you know, crystal. Now, Damn. now he's just, it's just not working. So, what um, do you want to talk about, bro? Let's leave uh, this then. We, we <laughs> could, uh, yeah, we could, you know what? This is a union episode. I, I, let's, let's talk about unions a little bit. You know sure. I mean? we'll, we'll have Jonathan on and hear his story and, no, that's probably, no, I'll just have Jonathan on. Okay, we're scra- you guys are hearing. You're a lagging now mid too. Round. Am I lagging for you? You're lagging now too. It's definitely the service. Yeah. Is Streamyard just like? Fuck. I think like, uh, they could up. be being DDoSed right now. Streamyard just like destroying itself right now. Yeah, you not- you, you you cut out like for like two seconds and then you came back in. L Streamyard, you know, you want me to go use Discord? I guess, I guess I should. This is good for you to reference in the future. If this happens, probably should have a backup plan if Streamyard decides to. Because I've never had issues, but I guess might as well. Um, maybe Zoom. My only issue with Zoom it has a thirty-minute time limit. I don't know what's up with that. You like, can extend it if you have the membership or whatever that bullshit I don't is. Have a Zoom membership? <laughs> yeah, I'm Dude. surprised. Why don't we just use Discord? Actually, I was about to ask this like a long time ago. Because I feel like record? Discord has more issues than Streamyard, but we'll try. We'll try Discord. 
I think it's a lot better. Uh, alternatively, I can also like make like a new account and stuff like that, so I can uh, have like a streaming only with the new Switch account system that they have. Um, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Backup plan moving forward, just Discord. Just Discord. Okay. Yeah, and so um, what do you think about the union stuff? Let's just get into it. Yeah, I guess let's talk about unions. I'm just gonna leave yeah. all this in and just yeah. like whatever. Screw, <laughs> it, Screw it. It's just like, oh man, Jesus, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm gonna I'm putting the title. Sorry about this. <laughs> oh Jesus. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm for me for me, I'm a definite advocate for unions. Uh, the the premise is definitely there. Um, when I'm like looking at my research when it comes to unions, and I was kind of similar, Jonathan, like we're all like pro unions and all that stuff. And I was trying to look up pros and cons for unions, try to get the full scope of the, of the discussion regarding unions. And overall, it's a it's a net benefit for from my perspective because obviously unions, you know, they help get you better pay, help you get better benefits. Um, you know, all that, that's all great stuff. Um, I would have been curious to hear Jonathan's rebuttal to some of the, the criticism of the unions. Obviously, the first one would be um, regarding foreign competition, especially back in the day regarding Toyota. That's one of the reasons why people would criticize unions is because how, you know, um, our self-made automobile industry back then was crippled by unions and due to, you know, the workers and, you know, trying to get more pay and, and uh, all the, the funds with that, the, the foreign competition being Toyota coming in the scene and making things better and, you know, less, much more cost effective for the industry made Toyota the primary car goer in America, obviously. So the, the, one of the criticisms behind it is like, okay, if we keep on like, you know, potentially pushing the edge for these businesses and we have foreign competition coming to the country and try to, you know, offer a product at a more doable service for these, uh, you know, big tech, big uh, industries, how would you deal with that? Well, what, do you, what do you think about that? So I guess like um, I'm going to answer a question with the question. Uh, I kind of like ha ask myself the same thing. Uh, especially in relation to like public um, like works and stuff like that. So, um, you know, like the Biden administration made the controversial decision to um, I think break up the strike for the, uh, the whole thing regarding Amtrak uh, and the rail line uh, workers. And uh, I think nations are placed in pretty precarious situations in relation to like, uh, how do they uh, uphold their overall uh, cohesiveness and in industry all the while respecting labor rights, right? And I'm sure like um, Jonathan, who's probably a little bit more radical, uh, would probably say, well, you know, uh, labor rights are labor rights and they, they can't be touched at all, right? Uh, but I think when the conversation shifts into the, um, the limelight of, you know, what is it of the nation that's supposed to be done, right? Like, what is it that, uh, like, uh, how do we preserve like these like industries and like preserve like overall economic buildup uh, I think the conversation can be a lot more muddied. And I think that's where a lot of liberals um, will start to uh, bite the bullet and say, we got to scratch these strikes out. Uh, granted, I will like uh, note, I do think the Republicans are pretty heavy handed as evidenced by, um, are you familiar with uh, the Reagan administration's PATCO uh, decertification? Uh, no, I think I've heard of it, but 
Go yeah. Ahead. So the, the background is, um, PATCO is this air traffic controllers union. It stands for uh, professional air traffic controllers organization. Um, and it, uh, lost its certification, uh, because it performed a quote unquote, like a legal strike, uh, at the time. And it, it violated, I'm like reading off the Wikipedia now it violated uh, 5 USC uh, 118P, uh, which prohibits strikes by federal government employees. Uh, so um, after that, uh, the federal courts uh, gave them injunctions uh, ordering for an end to the strike, and uh, they refused to um, play ball with it. So uh, after they refused to like kind of return to work, the, uh, <laughs> the Reagan administration fired all of them. Um, yeah. yeah, they fired, uh, almost like all like 12 to 13,000 of them. Yeah. I think that's what I was listening to that, um, something like that happened. And then Reagan, uh, and I guess it was Reagan. It was one of the presidents and they just fired all of them. And then, um, it was like the first time that something like this happened with the government union, right? Yeah. It was, uh, like a big precedent that was set as well. Yeah, it's it's so tough with like th there's two ways I definitely look at it. like the bigger picture once you really dive into it, it you trying to find that fine line of like okay, making sure that the the workers are being uh compensated fairly based off, you know, the the market value of the company. You know, someone like Amazon obviously definitely has the funds to make sure that their workers are getting compensated properly. We've seen like the the people would say that, bro, I can't even go to the bathroom before without getting criticized, stuff like that. So it's <laughs> yeah. Like, and stuff like that. We could definitely see like, okay, Amazon, one of the biggest companies, you know, Bezos um, buying billion dollar yachts. You know, we, we kind of see, hey, man, their money could definitely be utilized a little bit more appropriately. But on some of these other uh, businesses and uh, corporations that are definitely much more lower scale in terms of overall value, I'm curious on what line they draw in terms of the the labor, labor uh, union, the labor workers um, compensation, meeting, you know, their, their needs based off societal standards versus, okay, we don't want to breach the line to potentially hurt the coming they hurt the company either immediately or like down the line five well, to ten years i think it applies like once again right like i think it applies to title five uh in like uh, 118 or page 118 right which like uh, stipulates that like it's a uh, i think like outrightly illegal for federal government employees to um strike uh yeah. at all and as a result of that uh i think that it can really dump it in terms of like the private world, so like uh, Jonathan like brought up uh, pretty well, like with a lot of right to work states, they do prioritize, I think, in the private world of uh, you know protecting these companies. But in those non right to work states and these like pro union states, you really see um, <laughs> some of these unions, uh, rightfully for that matter, uh, kick these uh, companies down to the curb and uh, beat the hell out of them. Like I mean. Look, uh, like I talked about earlier, right, the UPS negotiations are pretty nutty already, and we're seeing uh, some that might actually result in uh, even bigger um, wins soon. Uh, and UPS is, I mean, let's be real here, right? UPS is already in a competitive environment with that of Amazon. And uh, I think this strike and demands that are actually met could potentially like kill the company. 
uh, in a lot of ways or cause a personnel drought. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think that's something valid to say. I would have to like obviously figure out or I would be curious on like the overall numbers um, because I don't does like Amazon own any, you know, service. I know um, delivery like and I know I'm like I'm saying like like obviously when someone delivers a package it would it would still go to another uh, company to deliver it right whether, whether that be like FedEx or yeah yeah else. I think they use UPS FedEx and postal service as... I know they have their own trucks too but they also like use those ones as well I'm yeah but like how that works isn't the fleet expanding like as far as I know right like because we yeah. see I see more and more of them not and this is also leaving out the individual carriers that like are contract ones that uh, you've probably seen those people driving around their own cars delivering your packages and stuff like that yeah so and they're know. trying to bring out drones too like <laughs> Amazon is really uh, trying to cut out <laughs> the middleman out of here bro yeah, they're, they're like playing a whack-a-mole with the postal service fedex and uh oh what's the other one i can't believe i'm forgetting it now uh, ups yeah it's it's unreal uh, and i think that they're gonna be able to pull it off which sucks yeah so i mean for a company like amazon you know the unions definitely have its value um i think i guess the the thing is is making sure that unions kind of know where they need to stop and i don't know if we have a system put in place because obviously a lot of the their positions and potential like uh policies that they want to emit for the labor unions are going to be in behalf of the workers as they say i, I watched this one video and someone was talking about um labor unions and this is very appropriate is that they're constantly looking at the the workers and one of the criticisms behind this is like sometimes they don't know how to you know take their eyes off the workers where it's like maybe a manager wants to be part of a labor union and he's like bro this guy's just not good at his job i need to fire him and then there could be people in the union going like i don't care chill out and another argument that i've heard is that the the star workers who are really like doing their best and you know standing out from the rest are not getting highlighted as much due to you know the 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 treatment of all workers need to be treated equally to to an extent and they don't really um kind of compensate uh merit in a way is uh, another criticism for labor unions so i think i would be curious for um jonathan's point of view is like with, with their hierarchy structure of labor unions obviously there's like a leader and i'm sure there's like branches and all that stuff do they have someone to ensure that they're going to make the the hard decisions and i, I think canada well this is for contracts and I, I think canada has like an arbiter or an unbiased arbiter um in their uh labor union situations but I, i'm curious for like the the other circumstances that jonathan's with do they just everybody's on the same side and nobody really tells them no i'll be i'll be curious about that yeah i don't know like uh by the way do you want to end this early uh or not because we've only got like 15 minutes till nine and i don't think we're gonna be able to talk about much without him unless you got an itinerary um we can end this in about 15 minutes it's gonna be the 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 funny yeah the goober crazy episode episode. yeah (laughs) yeah i think like um I guess like I'll answer, well, I'll throw a dart here and I'll say, this is what he'd probably say. 
Uh, he'd probably say uh, blow me in regards to the uh, <laughs> in regards to the merit stuff, right? Like it's it's not what matters at all. Uh, compensation uh, for people uh, throwing out their back on these lines matters the most. Like he brought up, like when he was talking about the uh, working on the line to try to get like three to four cars out um, per shift or like per hour, right? Is a uh, pretty brutal, I think, especially considering back then. So I think that a lot of the um, meritocratic uh, elements of it, right, are just distractors from the bigger problem, which is the fact that a lot of working class people in this country just get treated like dogs. Yeah, yeah I definitely, I definitely agree to that. It's such a, it's it's one of the more nuanced uh, situations because obviously some unions are also treated by crap um, from like big businesses. We, we've seen this where they can fire certain employees for the littlest of things. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, you you uh didn't do this procedure right. You're fired. And they're, the only reason why they're doing this, we know, is because, oh, they're part of a union. But you can, you have to prove that. And even in these situations where you can prove it and they fired someone for being part of a union, which is illegal, by the way, all that will happen mm-hmm. in a lot of these situations is that they would uh, come back to their job, get back pay, and say, oh, I'll never do it again. So it's just not a actual like deterring punishment for a lot of these situations, not only to mention like union meetings which is like anti-union meetings, which, you know, certain companies have saying, hey, this is bad for the culture and don't join a union. So these things can definitely happen where these uh, businesses are uh, being unfair to a certain extent. So Mm -hmm. there's two sides to see it where like the the businesses are having, you know, utilizing their power and being, you could say corrupt in a sense, but there's also the bigger picture that I'm not sure unions consider with, you know, making sure that things are not only benefit the workers, but benefit the country as a whole. It's, it's bigger than, you know, the, the immediate raise in paycheck and benefits. Um, I think uh, I saw Lex Freedom talking about in terms of the collective bargaining, if the pay keeps on going up, eventually the business is going to uh, go out of business and go bankrupt. Well, I mean, that's the reason why they bargain, right? Like, uh, not all strikes are are bound to um, to win, right? Because employers, yeah. like the, the the thing, I guess, like what a lot of pro union people like myself will tell you, is that um, these things kind of exist as means to um, gauge and point out that these companies do know they can pay us out, right? Uh, it's just that they like refuse to do it because it'll hurt some margin, right? So like um, the the history of unionization has basically been this big thing where these uh, unions kind of arise and they just like point out, look, you know, we we can make a lot more money and like be treated significantly better. And we know you guys can pay us without your company being destroyed. Right. And I think that's the thing uh, that kind of matters the most. Uh, I got a lot of respect for Lex, but um, if that's his characterization of it. I think he's just flat out wrong, and it seems like it's alarmism to me. Um, the, the reality is, is like the uh, the natural um, existence of bargaining, and furthermore, company lawyers that exist to bargain uh, is the thing that's going to always like make it so there, there's a conclusion reached between these two actors and stuff like that, right? Will some companies be killed by strikers? Of course, right? Will a lot of these companies killed by strikers be bailed out by the federal government? probably you know what i mean like so like it's look 
you know, a lot of my friends, like I have a good friend of mine who's a lot more libertarian. He'll probably call me heartless for this. But uh, to the bleeding companies, I say let them bleed, right? Like uh, my my arms with the working people and the people of the United States. And um, I, I really can't give two about anything around like around these companies like survival, right? Because the reality is, is like our objective is just to win these like strikes, to win uh these things to get the concessions we need right to see how far we can go and ride that horse to the finish line so that's why i've always said i'm not mad at it overall i agree with the premise of unions because we need some way to check these companies obviously being a capitalist society uh for the most part so we always have to keep them in line in some way and the unions are the best way to do that um i'd be curious on your thoughts on like uh creating a unbiased arbiter into policy to handle all union bargaining situations could you say that again i didn't really fully catch it so i'll be curious on your stance to make this into policy because this is not a policy for america but i know it's policy for canada to an extent well you can uh definitely okay mostly we're we're focusing on bargaining so we're focusing on the on the contract and the deals themselves yeah so i'll be curious on your idea of like unbiased arbiters that is here to kind of uh i guess mediate moderate the the, the oh both yeah sides. like um i think they're called mediators in like court right like people that exist as uh like an arbitration um you know i don't really know because like i feel as if uh <laughs> it's like a it's a unique relationship between that of the company and the union itself uh and i'm not really sure what it uh these arbiters would actually kind of do uh maybe the thing i'd be you know actually i don't know if i'd be in favor of it because i'm not sure and i'll say it out loud right i'm not sure if i'd want for the union's demands to be like fully publicly known right and like what are what's talked about by council in the sessions that are had right like the, the thing we have to acknowledge is that we're political actors just as so much as the companies are and i think the companies would even agree with us in this case where they would say yeah i don't want arbitration because uh, both sides of the aisle have a lot to lose out of doing it right like the union for example could say something cavalier or make consideration uh, for something that's politically unpalatable and then the company of course could just uh, outrightly refuse certain things and make them look bad as well so i think like arbitration uh kind of naturally entails uh the other element of uh public knowledge i think that's like kind of what comes after it and i'm sure you'd probably agree right like uh, when arbitration is involved then that means that you can have freedom of information request uh accessible for those court files Hmm. Um, I, I definitely see your argument. I, I would have yeah. to kind of think it over because I do think there is a certain level of value to have that um Privacy. that type of mediator. Yeah. Um to, to to go off that point, right? So instead for like instead of uh having someone to kind of uh, mediate these contracts in terms of like the, the union agencies themselves, what mm-hmm. it what would you say to let's say, you know, an um an organization that like, you know, the people who do DEIs, right. You know, all that stuff. Right. I know they, one of the things they do for the CEI, I think that's what it's called. um, Corporate quality index. They send an agent to go to all these businesses to make sure that they're adhering to the, the LGBT diversity standards set by 
those see, rich people. Uh, yeah. yeah, those rich people that's in control of these organizations. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's run by obviously like the Black Rocks, the uh, Soros's type individuals. What would you say for like an agent to show up to unions to make sure uh, that they're abiding by a more, um, let's say, a effective standard in in realizing the big picture maybe act realizing that you know going into the meritocracy stuff that we were talking about before what would you say having an agent go doing that in order to i don't know if if you could argue it would make unions more efficient or not but having that type of uh, uh, figure in these situations yeah i think it's prone to subversion like um i think that it's like going to run into a lot of risk of uh extra are like um, other parties getting involved in like financing these organizations to um, try to like politically uh, or economically make them unviable. Right. Uh, I feel as if that it could be used as like a hit piece. And if it's not the government, like I don't really trust it. Like um, a lot of these I companies, mean, they are already get... like fighting for the left anyway. Yeah. So, uh, change uh, that much. I will, I'll tell you the thing that I said, like with the other stuff, right? Like I find that other stuff to be like a nothing burger. I feel as if like it should just be outrightly rejected and ignored by these company or by these companies as well. Um, the, the bigger problem is just simply that these companies allowed, allow these things to like kind of play ball and like dominate our cultural spaces, right? Uh, the federal government should be the, the thing that ensures the civil rights of homosexuals, uh, transsexuals, um, you know, bisexuals, etc., are the ones that are covered, right? Um, it shouldn't be that of a private institution that uh, has significantly more uh, proneness, I guess, to being uh, subverted by extra financiers. So, like, I hate that stuff just as much as I hate like the idea of there being this like other company that kind of like sends its goons out to uh, make sure the meritocratic nature of the union is like still existing. Like that's up to the union leadership and the electorate. Like those guys, they vote on everything. Uh, and they're the ones that make it, make sure it gets uh, done. I think, I think AFL CIO does have some form of that where, for example, if you do join AFL CIO or you do join uh, LCLA, right. Uh, what happens is, is that they kind of like introduce themselves and they say, look, you know, we have codes if you're going to be underneath the net of the unions that we provide, right? Like we'll give you legal services in return, right? But you have to meet a certain standard. But um, this is something that is like ran by the union and is like still something that's uh, relatively elected, right? Uh, these private companies are, uh, they're contracted. And I mean, you know, the... <laughs> That that money that money talks, and I I don't want it to really get into it. You know what I mean? I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Um, overall, you know, both of us are here are pro unions. Um, they're, yeah. they're good for society. They're good for capitalism. Um, uh, to keep these big businesses that's already getting bigger, as we know, um, in check for the most part. Um, the the question, the conversation on unions and whether or not they can see beyond um, their their current agenda is a conversation that I, I definitely think should be had. But to use that as ammunition to dismiss all unions, I think is pretty lazy because I see people try to make those cases. Um, I saw someone trying to make the case that all government unions are all bad because people's tax dollars go into paying 
for government workers who their dues go into paying for the unions. I'm like, this is a very lazy take to kind of dismiss like unions at the end of the day. Uh, but it's not a perfect, it's definitely not perfect. So there, there's a uh, potential solutions to go about how to make sure that the unions are more efficient and the unions are uh, making sure that the, what they're doing is not only in the benefit of the, the workers, but in benefit of the, the country as a whole. Um, so before we wrap up this very messy episode of of a uh, political breakdown, this comedic episode. I hope you guys laughed. Who's who's listening? I'm curious on your thoughts about this, Paul, because I feel like this it could be a social subtopic. It could be a debate I have on someone's panel. I don't know when it, it when it could happen. But what do you think about the block fi- feature being disabled on Twitter? Do you think it's okay, a good bro. idea? It is a terrible idea, right? Yeah, like, um, look. To quote Tyler, the creator, if you're being cyber bullied, just turn off the screen, right? I think there's some truth to that, right? Yep. That being said, um, I'm sure you've run into these people before. Uh, you know, you could really run to some real cretins online. That block feature is uh, pretty much like the greatest quality of life thing that exists. And uh, I think that in general, social media sites are supposed to enhance their quality of life for their applications, right? And removing those things uh, because of this supposed axiom that exists, like, you know, ideological consistency of free speech and like how people can't block you. I think it's a little bit lame, right? Uh, And I'm sure, you know, a lot of these conservatives, like even Jonathan would probably agree, uh, our co-host would probably agree and say, yeah, it's right. Because like, realistically, let's say, for example, there's some like batshit insane, like uh, leftist that's uh, in Jonathan's DMs telling him that they want to rape and murder his entire family. And they just like keep saying it over and over again. Or they say it in a public post where you can't block them because you can block the DMs, right? Uh, Still, that's what Elon said. Uh, I think that that's something that, you know, you should be able to just tune out, right? Like, uh, so you don't have to deal with that anymore. And to the dissenter saying, grow up, I just say, get fucked, right? Like, it doesn't seem like, uh, it doesn't seem worth the time. I I think blocking is a really great feature. I think, like I said earlier, it's a quality of life thing. and It's worth having around. Yeah. Yeah. So I completely disagree. Um, it, it, What? it goes with my my framework that social media is pushing people into echo chambers and blo- the block feature is hand in hand with that the quality of life stuff i'm not i don't really buy um i do think that if you're going to disable the block feature you your moderation team needs to be stronger and your band team needs to be stronger to the point where if someone goes into someone's dm and say i'm gonna rape and murder your family you could hey this guy is crazy ban him from the platform he doesn't even need to be on the platform so sure. at that point that's uh that's uh those extreme cases can be banned but my issue is not necessarily like the, those extreme cases i feel like people just block people just because they just don't want to hear their voice be heard and i think that's the biggest problem i feel like that's going on social media <laughs> is where people are trying to create very narrow uh algorithms which is you know plays into the also the the, the potential uh, bad things for social media algorithms versus you know business algorithms or marketing algorithms is that people are getting fed a certain way of thinking and then diving deep into that way of thinking and going into their corner of the internet so i think that uh it's bad for discourse especially when we're trying to advertise 
I'm calling it Twitter. I'll never call it X. And when we're trying to advertise <laughs> Twitter as a um, what is it called? I keep on forgetting the terminology. Uh, open public square. And when I try yeah. to advertise Twitter as the public square, it should be a place where everybody's voices so, are being heard. Unless, like, if you, if you want to block someone, it better be a really damn good reason. All right, so I'm going to push back on this, Riddell, right? I think that you are wrong about this, right? Uh, I think I'll agree with you. And I'm here's the middle ground I'm offering to you, right? We allow for them to get rid of protected tweets, okay? That shit's bullshit. It's got to go. Like, that is the dumbest feature ever. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where they, you have to pay to see the tweets? Oh, no. No, not just that, which is also really annoying. Um, I'm talking about where you have to follow the person or they have to follow you to respond to the tweet itself. Oh, gotcha. You know what I'm talking about where the comments are blocked? That's bad, right? Blocking, I think, uh, shows individual choice and makes it significantly more evident, right? And furthermore, a block in a lot of ways is kind of like throwing down a sword, right? Uh, blocking someone is usually seen as a uh, pretty uh, cavalier and uh, I guess what, like dishonorable, right? But still, I still think blocking is great because it kind of like adds in another element to where whenever Twitter is not actually fully like banning people on time, it just gives you the ability to kind of like get away from the problem there. And I don't think it actually causes these echo chambers. Granted, I'll throw you a bone here. Um, I think it's going to be funny when D-Man gets out there and starts getting into Vouch and Hassan's uh, Twitter when they can't block him anymore, right? I think that'll be pretty good, right? But, uh, like, look, you know, like on my Twitter, I have people that, uh, you know, mess with me a lot and stuff like that. And it's just not fun. Like, having the block feature has been the greatest thing ever. And furthermore, I still don't actually have a uh, an echo chamber because I still have, like, conservative people, like, up in my uh, replies, like but me, you're uh, like one of the good ones. I don't. I, you hey. know all these progressive <laughs> left. They're gonna just block all the righties and just fill it to the. And the well, righties I, gonna do the exact same thing. Especially I would people. rather have those people like locked away in their echo chambers. Honestly, Riddell. Like because the the good thing is for us as a society, we don't have to deal with them at all. Right? Like I'm sure you would agree. You would rather not have the fucking brony who is an eco communist. Right. Uh, talking about like <laughs> abortion <laughs> with Tucker Carlson, right? Like that's like something that like I'm sure we could all agree would just be absolute like nightmarish, and we'd all be saying, "What has happened to this country?" Right? So I mean, for me, there's two ways I always approach these conversations: <laughs> my personal want, yeah. and my <laughs> idea, ideological <laughs> consistency. So like, just. I, they're ve- these are two very different things and when i'm say- when i'm looking at society i think you could i think i would be more in line with like maybe a limited feature where it's like okay this guy's going to him let me limit the amount of content i see on my my home page versus just like uh disabling their existence from my from from everything like their existence gone blocked like i just don't think that's like um coincides with you know genuine human interaction which is my problem with that overall um i i do i do hear what you're saying but i this i guess this will be a agreed to disagree point for now but i'm sure this debate sure. will come up again in the future with that said i just remembered i'm glad you said that i just remembered something else that was said and i was trying to figure out what this other point that i saw on the timeline was 
and I now I remember it because you talked about Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Apparently, I don't even know if this is true. I just saw this on the timeline. Apparently, Vivek was advocating for raising the age of voting to 25 years old is something that I heard. Vivek? Which is, yeah, the, the Republican nominee. Which one is? Hold on. He's the he's the younger one oh, that's like I'm a swami. Yeah. Uh look dog, I think I've talked about him before. Uh I hate this guy. Like <laughs> I don't think you said this here because I think John actually likes this guy. Especially uh, yeah, in of course of course Trump fucking John and, likes uh... this guy, dude. Like <laughs> But if you had to pick a lesser of three evils, I would rather have Vivek than like the Santa <laughs> I'll respect the John, right? But like this, like bookworm, like politician thing has got to go. Okay, like Ramaswamy is like an absolute joker. Like, I mean, he's already made like public policy statements about getting rid of inheritance and stuff like that. Something that, uh, yeah, bro. Something that I'm sure Jonathan himself would probably be against, right? Uh, and furthermore, but like on the topic, I know inheritance. Yeah, now, like, as uh, long as he gets rid of estates as well. Oh, dude, absolutely it. not. Like I, I've got something to gain, Riddell. I got something <laughs> to gain. <laughs> like, like, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, hey, scratches from the record, Riddell. I recently just got four cameras from my grandpa, right? And I'm living at large right now. Okay. I've got that champagne socialism going on, and I, I I'm living that. it up. I would, I mean, yeah. if, I, if I'm if I'm LeBron James's child, and he said, "Get rid of inheritance," who the heck are you? Yeah, well, who like, are you talking to right now? Oh, that would be crazy. Um, no, no, with that said, to, to focus on the the yeah. age thing, I was thinking in my mind, like changing the age of voting from eighteen to twenty five. It's ludicrous. I'm thinking it's like it's, it's ridiculous, crazy. but at the same time, like no, low no, key, don't, don't low do key, no, no, if we had, no. if we take out like that 24, 23, 22, 21, 19, 18 year old voters, Riddell. how would that change? <laughs> the Democrats would be losing a lot, but I'm just saying, like, Riddell, yeah, okay, I'm happy you acknowledge this. this is like, <laughs> like a GOP power grab, bro. I 100% I was like, bro, you're just trying to uh, like enforce the Republicans. I, I 100% saw that a mile away. Dude, I, I saw it and like, like my, my dad and I are at smoke and he's like, like he's like trying to do this like thoughtful discourse bullshit. He's like, you know, I think he's on something. I'm like, bullshit. He's not on to anything right now. I know what this motherfucker is doing. He's trying to win elections. <laughs> That's what he's trying to do. But no, the thing I was going to bring up with Ramaswamy, did you hear about what he talked about recently with um about uh, Ron DeSantis? No, what he say? He publicly said that he's only running to poison Ron DeSantis's chances of winning the election, bro. He's is on he that a Trumper or something. Oh, dude, I think he one hundred percent is a Trumper. Yeah. Oh my god, like, bro, he wants to make America great again, Riddell. <laughs> like... See, I'm not, I'm not a Vivek guy either because I, I, everything I saw about Vivek is only culture war stuff. And if any nominee makes their platform just culture war, you are not selling me. I, I hate, bro. Talk about something, but um, yeah. no, nah, that vote stuff was uh, <laughs> if we if like I mean obviously that's never gonna happen, but hey man, maybe the... you eighteen year ninety year olds need to get better at like your understanding of politics. I don't know, maybe it's your fault. Look, I mean, like the, the, let's just like do the inverse here, right? Like think of all these like plus sixty year olds that are out there voting, right? Like I mean, I, look, I talked to this one voter one time during the Biden administration. 
And this old lady, I felt so bad for her. She's like talking to me and she goes, you know, like, uh, <laughs> the, uh, we need to like expand the Patriot Act further to prevent 9-11 from happening again. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> if you're taking like, out 18 to 24 year olds, you better start taking out the yeah. 70 year olds. <laughs> this is middle aged voter country, sir. Okay. Like, <laughs> That, that oh, you got a wrinkle oh, yeah here, yeah we're gonna we're gonna, gonna have the the voting like gestapo coming around town <laughs> looking at your fucking hairline <laughs> like just, oh just coming out of people but being but realistic it'll be a terrible idea to set a president that we can edit voting rights of like course, that's that's yeah. the worst thing you could ever do <laughs> in, in america bad yeah. idea bad idea republicans may getting so like black pilled in terms of anti-establishment they might even try to like advocate for that which is bro a terrible I, thing. I think they're just going to become like secessionist one day and just like fucking go crazy like yeah, i think i'm talking about texas and florida seceding so yeah i dude, if they do that like if florida secedes from the united states like you're going to see me on cnn okay like uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's like a guarantee all right like <laughs> florida secedes and then we capture mexico yeah, and make it another I, uh, territory I, florida. <laughs> i'm gonna be publicly executed by like the florida militia at that point you're gonna like see it 100 percent. yeah oh yeah florida is gonna they're gonna be a straight dictatorship over there 100%. oh yeah it's the desantis reich bro like it's gonna happen for sure but anyway that's, that's <laughs> crazy but um yeah this is this is all we got for today like i said it was a very chaotic episode you know it it is what it is right we had we still had a good conversation about unions you know that still happened in today's episode um but with that said, we will be back. If you're listening, the next episode will be about climate change. So hopefully we don't have a lot of the uh, technical difficulties. And that conversation is going to be fun as well, I'm sure. So hope you guys enjoyed. Rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that great stuff. You can visit the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. Send us an email of your thoughts or, uh, you know, if you want to send us money, you can do that as well. Except the scammers. Stop sending me scam emails.